Welcome, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Wellness Wednesday Inspiration. My name is Fernanda Torres, and I am a nurse practitioner. I'm here with Dr. Linda Marquez. And today we have a guest, Dr. Feliz, and she is a board-certified gynecologist. Dr. Linda is going to be giving you guys all of the introduction, but we are all about women today and talking about menopause and hormone replacement therapy. So if anybody has any, uh, anybody that can benefit on the topic, if you're a female, please, please, please share and connect and comment, ask questions, and we will be providing a lot of information today. Dr. Linda, how are you doing? Yeah, good. We're on the same time zone. We're both now in Arizona. Yes. yes. So, finally, finally yes. the same time zone. Yeah, a lot of exciting things I know have happened for you since we last, you know, got together. We, you know, I was I was on I was in Sedona last week while you were on, you know, giving them kind of a recap of the last few mm -hmm. um, podcasts that we've, you know, we've done. So I'm grateful that they've been able to listen to that and feel like people can now get caught up. So it's yes. exciting that, you know, now you're in Arizona. So I'm looking forward to just us getting together and doing some fun and exciting things for a lot of, you know, the ladies that are seeking to improve their health and be the best version of them. And, you know, today our guest, um, I'll go ahead and introduce our guest, Dr. Felice Gersh. Um, she is amazing. I met her years ago. And when I met her, I knew that this this is someone that I definitely want to build a friendship with a relationship with. And not only that, she was one of my doctors. So um, sometimes people look at us and they think, Oh, Fernanda, you don't have anybody that takes care of you. You like know everything, right? And <laughs> And, you know, like me too, it's just like, I always say it takes a team to keep this mm -hmm. group together <laughs> for mm -hmm. both of us, right? Mm -hmm. so, um, but Dr. Felice Gersh, um, she's a medical doctor. She's uh, uh, she's an award-winning physician. Um, she's, she's certified in OBGYN, integrative medicine. She's also part, um, her practice is um, in integrative medical group uh, in Irvine. So, um, she has a very, very busy practice, very comprehensive practice. I've been into her practice. It's absolutely beautiful, has a team of people that are working for her and really bringing this vision that she's had of helping women and taking the best of um, traditional medicine, but also bringing in the functional medicine, so to speak, and, and combining it together. So she's got an amazing, amazing practice there. Um, she's... You know, she's taught um, gynecology at Keck USC School of Medicine for 12 years. She was an assistant clinical professor there. Um, she's also, I mean, received multiple awards. She's, um, you know, other things. She's she's an author. So I've got one of her books here. So amazing book. And we'll have to bring her on back on in regards to PCOS. But there's a whole uh, amazing book. She wrote that with her daughter. You want to really get to know Dr. Dur um, Gersh's journey, Dr. Felice. Um, this is a great book to dig into. She's also been on some documentaries. She'll look out for that on uh, the fasting one with Montel Williams, um, uh, or the real skinny of fat with Montel Williams, and the fasting one with Dr. Um, Walter Longo. So why don't we bring her on? She is amazing. I know women are going to love her today. We are going to talk about menopause. I mean, that was one of the reasons I went to see her because 
it can be a really um, it can be a really exciting yet horrific time of life for women. And you know, you're not anywhere near that age yet, Fernanda. But you know, <laughs> but actually, for women to know what to expect, I think Felice can bring on a perspective where a lot of women can learn and hopefully share this with their husbands as well, because men think that women are going crazy. So let's go ahead and bring our own. <laughs> Hi, Dr. Felice. Thank you for joining us today. Well, it's my pleasure. And yeah, as was just alluded to, menopause is a universal event. Whether you, wherever you are on the timeline, you're headed in that direction, or if you've already no crossed, crossed over. And so, I love the way you framed it—that we could make it exciting, but it can be horrific. So, <laughs> it um, it is definitely an interesting time, and that's where I come in to try to sort of change the paradigm into something that can be exciting and it could become a wonderful time of life because left to its own, it sometimes does not turn out that way. <laughs> Absolutely. And I mean, that was one of the reasons I had reached out to you too, because I mean, you saw me at my time when, I mean, we met at a time when I thought, you know, in both our lives, everything was going well. And, and then I started kind of going through that shift and I'm like, holy cow, this is not what I expected. So, um, so really, you know, what can you define for us? Because even I, you, I think people don't understand it. Men definitely mm -hmm. don't. But sometimes women right. don't understand. Well, what does this mean? Oh, it just means you stop having a period. It's right. more than that, right? <laughs> it is. Unfortunately, the language surrounding menopause is really not adequate, that's to say the least, because the word menopause is meno is from the Greek word for moon and pause, as you might guess, is to stop, you know, pause permanently. Mm -hmm. And so it makes it sound like you said, it's just about periods stopping. But really, we need to think of it as ovarian function declining because the ovaries are really the star of the show when it comes to women's metabolic health and women's reproductive health. And this fact that there is an alignment between reproductive function and metabolic function. And metabolic function is really about the creation, distribution, and everything that has to do with energy. And that's really the spark of life. The difference between alive and not alive is, can you make energy? The difference between having vitality and chronic fatigue is having energy. Mm -hmm. So estrogen is really key to that, every aspect of that. And the ovaries are the primary producer of estrogen in women of the reproductive age. So when you are going through this transition, it really parallels the decline of fertility. So every woman knows that her fertility at age 42 is not the same at 32 or 22. And that an, an ovarian production of hormones is shifting as women age. And it really, really parallels a lot of things that happen in their overall life, in their health. Once women hit the transition, some women go off the cliff and it's a big plummet and other people go into sort of a gentle glide downward, but the trajectory is always in the downward direction. And that's ovarian senescence or aging of the ovaries. So we need to think of menopause as really just a moment in time. By definition, it's 12 months without a normal spontaneous period. That's arbitrary. 
the ovaries are in this transitional state for several years, actually you can think of it as decades, but yeah. really in terms of really the more rapid decline over several years. And it's just a moment that we can measure, like when have you not had a period for 12 months, but the ovaries are in this process. So we need to think of it as ovarian aging or senescence and all the functions in the body that are going to change with the deficiency that really ensues when the ovaries stop making these really vital hormones, estrogen and progesterone. Mm, yeah, those those are like two two um, the big key players when a woman's going through that change of life. And I know um, as you know, Fernanda and I, we have a lot of female patients as well, and you know, trying to prepare women mm -hmm. for this. And so, sort of speak, like you say, they don't go off the cliff. So I had one mm -hmm. of those conversations with you, like literally um, I have those conversations where it's like, literally you're talking me off the ledge. So <laughs> <laughs> right. don't understand that. And so, you know, what, what can, what would you share? Because as you were saying, I mean, really, when you look at life, it's like we're dying as soon as we're born. I hate to sound like kind of well, bold, but <laughs> you said it more bluntly than me when I said, <laughs> you know, the process starts decades earlier. That's right. It does. Yeah. And when we go through that change of life, it's like, really, it's like, okay, you only have, you have a short period of women have a short period of really when they can, you know, get pregnant and they have a longer period when they can't. So how, you know, how do you, you know, what are some things that you can share with women that are maybe in their thirties and forties and, you know, kind of hindsight in the thousands and thousands of patients that you've worked with is how do you prepare them so that they don't get to that point where, you know, you're literally talking them off the ledge all the time. Yeah. Well, this is really a wonderful discussion because so often, like in everything in health, people start thinking about it when they lose it, right? People think about their bones when they're already breaking them. They don't think about what can you do to have healthy bones so that they don't break when you get through you know, the reproductive age into the menopausal years. And that's true for all the different aspects of aging that are really about estrogen deficiency. A lot of the things we talk about aging, which includes like osteoporosis and increase in certain cancers and mm -hmm. cardiovascular disease, gastrointestinal problems, cognitive functions, mood function, sleep. A lot of the things that we think about as aging are really estrogen deficiency related. Of course, aging steps in, it's hard to separate them completely, but estrogen deficiency is key. So preparing for this inevitable state of life and stage really means like having what I call reserve, building up your reserve of health. So getting back to sort of that analogy of if you're flying high with two engines in your two engine plane, and then you hit perimenopause, one engine goes out, okay? <laughs> then you hit the ultimate end when ovarian function completely ceases and no more estrogen is made. And of course it is sidekick progesterone. Then it depends, does that plane turn into a glider? or and then go to a soft landing or does it like go into a nosedive so yeah. the kind of situation that leads to one situation or the other is the health that you have when you hit that point mm -hmm. so you have to prepare now one of the ways to prepare is by having healthy bones to begin with that means you have the proper diet all along your lifespan the other is 
building fitness. I cannot emphasize the importance of having healthy muscles. Muscles are actually an endocrine organ. That's where you burn most of your sugar. And if you don't have enough muscle, you're more likely to become insulin resistant and put on the belly fat. These are very, very like almost synonymous with going through menopause is that women start becoming more insulin resistant and starting to get that really dreaded belly fat, that little roll muffin top that nobody wants. And they see their body shifting shape right in front of their eyes. The more muscle you have, the more that is going to be delayed. The other is having a healthy brain. That means getting adequate sleep and eating all the nutrients that the brain needs. We can never, we can never overemphasize the importance of having great nutrition and stress. Stress will accelerate aging. So we don't want to have unmanaged stress. Life is stressful, that is for sure. Just look around us. But it's we can't always change everything in our environment, though we have to change what we can, but we can certainly change our response to it. So everyone, and I mean 100% everyone, needs to have a mind-body medicine. Like for myself, I love guided imagery. We teach what's called heart math, which is biofeedback. So we're looking at heart rate variability, looking at upping the parasympathetic output with the autonomic nervous system, the calming arm of that autonomic nervous system so that people can be able to sleep and keep their pulse under control and such. So everything that's about healthy lifestyle needs to be engaged in long before you hit this, this menopausal transition. It's just like getting pregnant. I mean, we can make so many analogies. I emphasize you have to be healthy before you conceive. It's like, hey, now I'm pregnant. What do I do to be healthy? It's like, <laughs> well, I mean, of course, we're going to start wherever you are, wherever you are on the timeline. But how much better is it to be already prepared with a good body, good mind, good spirit, everything before you hit these giant events in your life, like pregnancy, like menopause and so forth? So all of these things really come into play. And then I really want to add in something that has no data because nobody really seems to care, but I have lots of experience. And that is the women who have spent the bulk of their lives on oral contraceptives and similars have far less resilience in general. It's a generality when they hit menopause because they have not had the natural beautiful rhythms that come with the lunar menstrual cycle. And these are not for nothing. I mean, they actually are not just about reproduction. Remember, reproduction is intimately linked to every health issue in the body. And nature did that on purpose. They wouldn't want unhealthy women becoming pregnant. So all the systems in the body, every function in the body, links to reproductive functions. In fact, it's so fascinating when you look at the enzyme systems, the enzyme systems that work in the heart are working in the uterus. I mean, it's a fascinating parallel. So it's so important to recognize that our natural hormones and rhythms actually are critically important. Other things that we can't always control is that we now know that women who've had pregnancies, women who have been breastfeeding do better it seems like it sort of prepares their body. Nature took care of certain things that we never understood. So women who've been breastfeeding in the past, they tend to have less insulin resistance and diabetes in the future. So let's, and women who have breastfed in the past, for example, and had pregnancies at an earlier age have less breast cancer in the future because our genes are programmed and to express themselves differently. 
after these kind of milestones that occur. But we can't undo or do what we haven't done in the past. But these are things to consider when you look at your risk and what you can do. So if you haven't had babies and you haven't had the opportunity to breastfeed, then it just means you have to work that much harder. And you have to be aware that you know it's that you may have more more work to do to maintain mm -hmm. all the equilibrium systems in your body at a, a good pace and a good status. That was unbelievable. <laughs> it covers so many topics of everything that we've been talking about for weeks and weeks and weeks. Yeah. It's all about how you eat, what you think, <laughs> how you move, your environment, your support group, who you have around you. It, it, who who's your who's your team? It's Dr. Feliz, your team. Are we your team? Are we helping you mm -hmm. by doing this show and providing this information that it's going to benefit you in the future? And Dr. Feliz, I have a question. You were talking about oral contraceptives and the effect that it can have on menopause. So what would be an alternative for someone of reproductive age who wants to um, avoid perhaps a pregnancy? and who may not be open to some of these newer, not newer, but other methods of contraception? Well, it's a huge problem. I wish I could just like have a magic bag and I'm like pulling the rabbit out of the hat that I could pull out. Here's your contraceptive. Because unfortunately, when all of these contraceptives were developed, no one understood that contraception is going to not only affect reproduction, but it's going to affect all the metabolic systems of the body because they are linked. Nobody understood when birth control pills came out, whatever it was, 70 something like years ago, when they were being developed, nobody even knew about estrogen receptors. Nobody knew what estrogen even did in the body other than it had to do with reproduction and menstrual cycle. So I can't fault the original people who came up with these ideas because it changed the whole life process for women, that they had something that could control pregnancies. But now that we're in the present and we know that by changing reproductive hormones, you're changing everything in the whole body. Mm -hmm. And we know that young women, for example, who go on birth control pills have higher rates of depression, even suicide. I mean, what is that telling you? They have studies showing women who are on birth control pills, they never reach their peak potential for bone and muscle development. So they don't have the same bladders. They tend to have like smaller bladder capacities. So younger you go on them because you're still developing. When you go on birth control pills and you're 14 years old, which is very common now, you haven't finished developing any organ system in your body yet. You're still a work in progress. And so, you know, you're going to have some problems potentially down the road with sexual function, bladder health, even like brain health, musculoskeletal health. So that's sort of like the sounding the alarm. So what can I offer in its place? For people who must go on birth control pills and similars, and similars would be like implantable IUDs that have progestin in it, levonorgestrel, because they actually can affect your ovarian function. They're not just a local effect in the uterus. We now know that that at least 50% of women stop ovulating. These chemicals are absorbed systemically, which means it circulates all around the body and can increase depression and acne and weight gain. So they're not like, I will say benign. They have serious potential side effects. They may also increase breast cancer risk down the line. 
and they're quite effective. I have to give them a big kudo for you know being effective to prevent unwanted pregnancies. But for people who I'll say are the most responsible group. So if you have to use these other things, I say, please try to use them for the shortest amount of time possible. And then once you're like more responsible about things, if you can and demand even that your partner use condoms. Now, condoms come in all different sizes and types. Now, they're not like your grandfather's condoms <laughs> anymore. I mean, they they actually, some of them advertise and promote like legitimately that they can be sexual enhancers. How's that? You know, <laughs> as well. And you, if this is very old fashioned, they've completely disappeared, but you can still get them. I can fit people and order them custom. And that's a diaphragm. So a diaphragm is another barrier method for contraception. If you use, uh, and that can be put in up to a couple of hours before having sexual relations, whereas of course a condom is last moment. There are also things called female condoms, a little pricey, but also something that could be played with. You can make these into sort of a fun event. And so you could vary it. But if you are doing one of the apps and you have a good regular menstrual cycle, so you know when you're at your most fertile time and you combine some of these things, like you combine one of the forms of condoms and then you say, if you're using a male condom, you could also use a diaphragm. You can also, you know, time it. Now, so those would be my personal favorites, the barriers that are not gonna interfere at all with your hormones. The next would be, which is also in the upper echelons of effectiveness, and, and that is incorporating use effectiveness. And, and I'll explain what that is, and that would be the copper IUD. Now, th that's not you know, like harmless in that it does create an inflammatory state. And that's sort of like we live in functional medicine to eliminate inflammatory states, right? <laughs> so here we're creating one, but you know, we have to weigh relative risks and benefits, harms and benefits in, in everything that we do in medicine. So if a pregnancy would be a horrendous thing to happen, it would be life changing. We don't want that to happen. Then I would say, have a copper IUD if you know you feel like you can't either use them or be responsible to use a barrier method. Now, see, that's the thing that often gets downplayed is that there's a difference between what we call use effectiveness and theoretical effectiveness. So for example, if you read a condom, it'll say a condom is only 80% effective. Why on earth would I use something? It's like not useful, it's not effective. That's because that's called use effectiveness. So if somebody says my contraceptive method is a condom, but then half the time you don't use it, that is considered a failure of the condom, okay? They don't call it the person, they call it the condom because that's use effectiveness. That's why when you have something that's implanted in someone that they can't just like take out or they don't have to remember it, it has a very high effectiveness because they're talking about use effectiveness. They're never talking about theoretical effect. Theoretical means you're using it correctly every, every time. time. So mm -hmm. if you use condoms, every time properly, then the true effectiveness, or that would be called the theoretical, is well over well over 90%. Mm -hmm. And then if you combine it with, with a diaphragm, you're way up there in the, the same kind of range as say birth control pills. Because birth control pills also include in their effectiveness rate when you forget them, okay? That's why the implantables or what they call the long-term reversible contraceptives, the LARCs, they are like the most pushed now. But the problem is 
the, the ones that have the levonorgestrel, the ones that the implantable IUDs that have the progestins in them do have some negative things associated. They do take away most women's rhythms, change their estrogen production, can even shut down ovulation altogether. Mm -hmm. So they're not like, they're not natural, let's put it that way. They have the chemical in them. So, uh, you know, based on all of that, I would say if you have to use something that's that's implanted that you never have to remember, then I would go with the copper, copper in most in most cases. But you know, then you have to individualize based on what are your periods like, are they painful, too heavy bleeding, and so on. So that's where you really have to work with your healthcare provider to look at your individual needs. And a lot of them really don't really give you an option though. You know, that's what yeah. I have seen. And, and now like I have a daughter in high school and the girls are going through, you know, their hormones are all, all over the place. So this number one solution or alternative that they give them is just like, oh, you have all this acne. They put them on birth control. Yeah. And they're yeah. like you were saying, it's like, yeah, but then they're with everything that's going on in the world right now. These kids aren't in school right now. Depression rate is up. It's like a double, oh. movie, you know, they're, yeah. they're it, it's just. I, I cannot understand that. And I try to like, you know, I talk to my daughter. I'm like, you know, it really comes down like everything you that you just mentioned earlier about you got to get your diet dialed in. You have to have mm -hmm. relationships, sleep. I mean, we eat super clean. Right. I, the joke is nobody wants to come to my house and have sleepovers. Yeah. We don't have crap in our, in I our know, we the same. You know, it's um, acne did not exist in primitive societies. It's a modern made Western society condition. And when you have a menstrual problem, when a girl, a young girl has irregular cycles, she has acne, she has PMS, she has heavy periods and so forth, that's a red flag that there's something wrong. In fact, even the American College of OBGYN, ACOG, which is the really, we'll say, entrenched conservative outfit that pushes every chemical in the world. I mean, that's just what they are. They push all the pharmaceuticals, every chemical, you know, in all that kind of stuff. But even they say that the menstrual cycle is a vital sign of female well-being. So, and yet they don't really care about that because their solution is always well, put them on the birth control pills, right? So, but I have a little different take, like with the functional medicine providers, it's like, if you have a problem, you know, don't cover up the symptoms, don't like wash, whitewash it. Like, so if you have a wall that's filled with mold and termites, the solution isn't get a really pretty thick wallpaper and cover up that wall. But that's, you know, that's what birth control pills are doing. And you know what, it looks pretty for a while. I can't deny that you can then sometimes make acne better. Just like you're not looking at that wall full of mold and termites, you have pretty wallpaper covering it. But the day of reckoning will come because you're not addressing any of the causations of why these problems are happening. They are often severe, like you meant, like nutrient deficiencies, antioxidants, polyphenols, and really key minerals. It's often circadian rhythm dysfunction because of timing of eating and sleep. Um, deficiencies of light, like the kind of light you should get from being out under the sun and a surplus of light under fluorescent bulbs, you know, which actually changes things. So, uh, you know, when you don't have the right gut microbiome, we now know that 
it changes how your immune system works, and then you have inflammation, which is exactly what we don't want, this chronic low-level inflammation, which is really what is happening in menstrual cramps. It's inflammation that's mm -hmm. overstepping its bounds, creating an abundance of cramps when you should have mm. just a tiny bit, just enough to expel the uterine contents. That's what nature wanted. So now we have problems that are so prevalent, people think they're normal. You know, mm. they think, oh, everybody has horrible cramps. Everybody has irregular cycles. Everybody has acne. And maybe they do, but that's a sign. Like if everyone's obese, does that make it okay? In some yeah. communities, it's like everyone is obese. That doesn't make it okay. The new normal isn't abnormal. We can't let that be acceptable. We have to go every day to strive for optimal health. And I, these are exactly the kinds of situations that lead to when the day comes and they go into menopause, they're like, if you take stock of what they have in the bank, we'll call it their bank you know, savings account of health, it's really low. So they're like looking at their bank account and they hit menopause, it's empty. So what are they going to use for their retirement years of menopause to maintain yeah. optimal health? They're already going into menopause and their brain isn't optimal. Their musculoskeletal system isn't optimal. Their gut isn't optimal. Once you hit menopause, you automatically get leaky gut and gut dysbiosis because loss of estrogen changes the gut microbiome mm -hmm. for the worse. So if you already have gut dysbiosis, you already have had leaky gut for a long time, which by the way, happens on birth control pills. You don't have a healthy regulated immune system. Birth control pills do not allow proper T regulatory cells. You probably have heard them in the news, you know, T regulatory cells. You need estrogen, real estrogen, the kind that's made by the ovaries, not the chemical estrogen that comes in a birth control pill that changes your immune system. You don't make Treg cells properly. You're more prone to developing, for example, Hashimoto's thyroiditis. And look at the epidemic of autoimmune disease that only then escalates like with rheumatoid arthritis and so on after menopause, but it's happening in young women by the truckload and it's a, the perfect storm. So there's many factors. That's what makes it so complex because it's not one thing. And you know, conventional medicine is all about one thing, one effect. But that's not the real life. It's yeah. many things and many effects. You know? <laughs> so it's, you know, so birth control pills and similars are just one more piece in this broken up puzzle mm -hmm. called how to stay healthy in this toxic world and challenging world and everything else. And it's just one more thing that adds to when you hit the menopause, the perimenopause, that you don't have the reserve of health. You don't have that bank account of good health at the time you hit that point and, and there's no going back. So we have, like I said, we have to work with everyone wherever they are on the timeline, but for younger people who still have time to save health in their health bank account, work on it now and recognize that having real hormones and real rhythms and real food and quality sleep, these things really matter for healthy longevity. And they add up, they add yeah. up to that savings account. Uh -huh. There's no shortcut to that. Now, now, Doc, what about there's we have a lot of women that I know that listen to the podcast that are already kind of they're in menopause. OK, mm -hmm. you know, can you kind of share a little bit about uh, there's so much con controversy with, um, you know, bioidentical hormones yeah. with, uh, you know, progesterone therapy? I mean, can you mm -hmm. kind of and a little bit? Kind of oh, share sure. with that because you know there's some positive, but yet there's 
I think a lot of women don't understand. I mean, and just right now, I mean, those are all so many truth bombs right there and little nuggets yeah. right there that especially, you know, with what I see a lot in the practice with the menopausal women, you know, now like in their fifth decade of life are lots of GI issues. I do a lot of GI mm -hmm. because I mean, you just like nailed it. Like, okay, I mean, you're like all, you're not leaky gut, <laughs> you know? Yeah, right, we know yeah. that, but the conventional world does not pay yes. attention. Yes, so, so the woman that's, you know, like they've kind of done that or maybe they haven't done it, but they're like, okay, I can, what Dr. Felice just mentioned now, I'm going to start doing some of those changes. But what if that isn't enough? It right. what if maybe I need to go on um, some sort of bioidentical right. hormones or can you kind of share your take sure. and how you work with that? So the way I look at it, if you think of life to stay healthy, is like a thousand piece jigsaw puzzle. And every time you put it together, you find a few pieces missing and you search like, where are those pieces? And that's sort of like aging. Your, your pieces of your thousand piece, piece health jigsaw puzzle keep like disappearing. So in the center of this jigsaw puzzle are the 400 hormone pieces. And then the surrounding 600 are all the other things that we've talked about, every single aspect of lifestyle, environment, nutrition, fitness, toxins, you know, everything that goes into play that's called lifestyle medicine. So to have the total picture with this beautiful 1000 piece puzzle, you really need to have it all. And that's really my take on it, that to really have optimal health, you need to have all your pieces of your puzzle. Now, if for some reason you can't take hormones or you have something philosophically against them for some reason, then you have to work extra hard to keep those other 600 pieces together. Now, if you do take hormones, that doesn't mean that's like the end of the story because you still have those other 600 pieces that you have to work on. So in my practice, I offer hormones to every suitable woman, which we you know would be almost all. Now, there are a few that have like, say, um, estrogen sensitive breast cancer or uterine cancer, and I can't, but the vast majority are good candidates. Now, I am very simple in my thinking. Nature knows best. So just like processed food did not outdo nature's farm fresh food, let's be real, right? <laughs> Nor does chemically made hormones outdo bioidentical hormones. So bioidentical would be the identical chemical formulation that actually is made by the ovaries. So we're not getting human farms. So these are not hormones made by humans that we're then giving to another human, but the brilliant scientists have come up with ways to replicate so that the body cannot tell the difference. They are the same chemical formulation. So it's that's why they're bioidentical. So that's the kind of hormone that our body has receptors for, that our bodies have adapted to over all these millennia. So that's the kind of hormones I give. Now, also being simple thinking and recognizing that nature knows best, I want to give hormones to make it in a form and dosing that's going to be as close as I can to what nature gave women when they were at their peak of health, like a 25 year old woman. Mm -hmm. So I want to try to have hormone levels and I would want to measure them because when we give hormones, 
through the skin, like we give estrogen in different ways through the skin, the absorption is not going to be the same for everyone. So you really have to do this. This is really unique, personalized precision medicine to see what each woman has. In fact, when they did data collection with like the estrogen patch, which is bioidentical, um, they actually looked at levels that women had and they were all over the place, like a scattergram, you know? So the mm -hmm. hormone levels that you get from the same dose in 10 different women can be totally different. So you really have to uniquely work with each woman and check her levels and her symptoms. So I would like to give hormones to be at approximately the level of the, you know, because right now, just to let you know, I think we need to do studies absolutely to see if replicating the menstrual cycle is going to work. And I think that that is really a brilliant idea that was developed, you know, quite a number of years ago, like 20 years ago, but we have like no data to support it, unfortunately, but we can do some things that are comparable in terms of at least benefit based on giving levels that are going to be similar to sort of the average level that a woman would have during her menstrual cycle, and then giving cyclic progesterone, because cyclic actually has been shown to help to pre reduce cardiovascular disease, whereas giving continuous progesterone does not have that same effect. But of course, like in everything when it comes to female health, we are not you know, we, we don't have enough studies. We definitely need more because what happened was about 20 years ago, we had everything changed when the women's health initiative study mm -hmm. came out mm -hmm. and it basically shut everything down because they used what's called conjugated equine estrogen. So it's estrogens and other stuff. It's like a whole pile of stuff that came out in the urine of pregnant horses and they dried it and they called that medicine and that they, they took the horse dried urine and they called it conjugated equine estrogens, and they're conjugated. In other words, they've already gone through the liver to get it eliminated from the body, turning it into a water-soluble instead of a fat-soluble product. So it's not, the horse doesn't even want it, is the bottom line. The horse is trying to get rid of it. And they combined it with a chemical that's called MPA, medroxyprogesterone acetate, which is not progesterone. It's a chemical which now has been found to increase blood clots, probably dementia and breast cancer. So it's like, but that's what they used. And so their conclusion, by the way, and they used women who'd been out in menopause for many years, some of them almost 80 years old, the average age was over 63. And they did not get the most stellar results in that age group. When they've reanalyzed it, they found the younger women actually showed benefit even with what they used, which was not what I would ever use, but mm -hmm. it shut everything down. So fast forward 20 years, we have tons of animal data. We even have some human data. We've had some additional studies since then that have shown benefit to the vascular system. So putting that all together, I feel that women are optimally healthy when they have optimal hormones. It's a kind of a very basic statement. Mm -hmm. and you need to combine that with all the same lifestyle things that we talk about to have healthy gut, brain, you know, immune system, everything else that has to all be in play to have optimal health. So it's quite a job. And people in the US always want the magic pill, right? There is no magic pill for being healthy. Healthy longevity takes a village, right? Like you said, and it takes a lot of work. And you know what? It is totally worth it because we're all on that journey. I'm, if I had listened, because I'm a menopausal woman and have been for a long time, I had early, early onset of menopause, probably because of circadian rhythm dysfunction combined with having a tubal 
because I, you know, now we know tying your tubes, cutting your tubes can actually um, accelerate menopause, but I didn't know that then either. Mm -hmm. So putting it all together, because I was working all those nights, delivering all those babies, I had a really early menopause. If I had believed all the bad hype about hormones, I don't know what condition I would be in. If I had had no hormones all these years, if I didn't know about functional medicine all these years. Mm -hmm. So like most of us, right, who are practitioners, we, we do everything to incorporate all we learned for our patients for ourselves. And it's really been a journey for myself, just like I talked about my PCOS journey, mm -hmm. then I went into my menopause journey and really learning things to apply to myself has really helped me to find the, the answers to help my patients as well to optimize their health for, you know, it's called healthy longevity. It's not just about living long. We know that women tend to live long, but they don't necessarily live well. Women have much higher rates of chronic disease than men. Women mm -hmm. have more osteoporosis, osteoarthritis, almost three times the incidence of Alzheimer's and you know dementia. Women have more strokes than men. Once women hit 65, they outdo men on hypertension. They have more ruptured aneurysms in the brain than men. Women have more sleep disturbances, emotional problems, anxiety, depression. Women live long, but they have lots of chronic disease. And my goal is to not have that happen to any woman. Every woman can have way better health starting early and staying on the right trajectory so that she doesn't nosedive. Mm. That's great. Dr. Felice, we have a question from someone in the audience. How do you test your hormones and is blood accurate? So for progesterone, it's a problem. Okay. Just to be really honest, because progesterone, when you take it orally, it's metabolized into other different substances. And so when you measure just progesterone, you're not really getting exactly the full answer. When you apply progesterone as a cream, it also can be intracellular at a different amount than what's inside the blood. Salivary levels are interesting, but also somewhat challenging. So you really need to look at this. If you're going to do saliva, you know, follow that individual. It would be wonderful to get some levels even before they go on hormones, but when they're in their earlier years, so you can see sort of how that woman transfers her serum levels into her saliva for measurement. Um, blood spot is another way. I tend to do serum because I am in my office and my patients typically come in. I can also order lab tests that people can go to the lab. And it's what we are familiar with. And most of the research uses serum levels. But um, if you follow saliva, you just need to really watch it and see how your levels compare over time and you know, be very careful in how you collect them. So in terms of serum levels for estradiol, so remember, we're really talking about the estrogen the ovary makes, which is estradiol. When I measure that, I really want to have a level over 50. Okay, there's actually some good published data that if it's under 50, it's not going to be enough to maintain bone properly. It's not going to be enough to maintain vaginal health and bladder health. So I like something towards 100, but you can't always fine tune it for everyone because sometimes if you push it too high, they have more symptoms, more breast tenderness or too much bleeding. So you have, it's such a an art of medicine when it comes to menopausal medicine in terms of giving hormones because you really do have to look at a combination of levels and symptoms. But I like to get a level that's close to 100, but at least a 50 
Now, if it's higher than 100, that's okay too, because in the luteal phase, the levels are often over 200. Um, this is in what we call picograms per mil. And for progesterone, I actually tend to not get levels like I used to because they're not very accurate. So I just wanna make sure that women, if they're bleeding, cause I often I'm giving the progesterone cyclic in a cyclic manner that they have very regular bleeds. And if they have even any irregular bleeding, I will get an ultrasound. And if there's any concern um, as uh, since I'm an OBGYN, I can do an, an office uterine biopsy. It takes me like two minutes. And then we know that there's no uterine cancer or precancer going on. So it does take monitoring. This is not for like, you know, like we'll say um, people who don't have a little bit of a backbone because sometimes things have to be finessed and monitored and all of that. But I personally, just to answer the question, getting back to it is I like serum because I'm, I'm very comfortable with serum. It's how I grew up as an MD. Very good. Wow, so many gems here. I mean, we can go on forever, and I know you've got patients to to tend to, and um, just wow. <laughs> My pleasure. Yeah, just love you know educating, especially women. I hope now that they have more of an understanding. Like like you said, there is no overnight. There's nothing overnight to as far as like I always tell people with success, even just with training your mind, with your body. Mm -hmm. And especially when women get into that change of life, it's just like you're going to we're just going to have to work a little bit more at certain things. Mm -hmm. But the, but the big thing what you you just hit so spot on, Dr. Felice, is that the importance of testing because otherwise, you know, sometimes you go to a practitioner and they don't test and you're right. just guessing. That's suicide. I know. Like, you don't know what you're giving. Yes. You know? I always say, how are you going to monitor if you never measure? Exactly. And that's one of the things I love about you and in your practice is that, you know, you were, it's like, hey, let's test. Let's see what the numbers. And, and also just looking at a person's, you know, their history, but the, the symptoms and so forth. What is their lifestyle like? And and putting that all together and in, in a package that's, you know, that's going to work for them and it's going to continue mm -hmm. to change. And we have to adjust with, you know, as a person changes. So, you know, so thank you so much. This was amazing. And I know lots of women and even men are going to benefit from this so they can understand we're not crazy. <laughs> no, no. In fact, so menopause is natural. Every single woman is going to go through menopause. So some people say, why are you treating it, right? Why are you treating menopause? It's natural. Well, because nature doesn't always, you know, give us really the best break. After menopause, because you lose your estrogen, things do tend to go south on us. Mm -hmm. So my feeling is I love nature. I want to be living within nature and, and fostering nature, but I don't like um, some of the things that nature gives us with aging. So my my saying, I say to this to my patients, if you don't like everything about aging, so you want to color your hair, you want to put on makeup, right? You want to get stylish clothes to sort of flatter your figure when if it's changing a bit. You know, you want to do things to look better and feel better, then what the heck? We know hormones are good. We know that they do amazing things. We know that before menopause, women have half the rate of cardiovascular events as males, and then they catch up and take off after menopause. And it's there's that what we call the female advantage 
it dissipates over the first 10 years after menopause at whatever age you go through menopause. So I don't care that it's natural. If I were all into natural, I wouldn't be a doctor, right? Because I'm there to intervene. Childbirth, death and childbirth can be natural, right? Mm -hmm. I am there to intervene to say within the world of natural, what can I do to foster better health, better happiness, and like healthy longevity. So by using our wits as humans, we can take the best of nature and even as we age, we can use it to our advantage to have a better quality of life. So I just wanted to throw that in because I do do acknowledge that menopause is natural, but it's not really naturally the time when you're the healthiest in life. Mm -hmm. And I just feel like there's nothing wrong as as healthcare professionals for us to use all the tools we have to give people the best quality of life, even if it's sort of going a little bit against natural because natural is not, you know, what we want. Like who, who lets natural cataracts sit, right? Don't they take them out and put in artificial lenses? Mm -hmm. So, you know, once we sort of look at all the problems of aging, if we can be proactive and prevent them by taking all these steps in the early stages of menopause, we can prevent all those unnatural interventions like replacing joints, right? And putting in cardiac defibrillators and going on tons of pharmaceuticals that nobody seems to have a bit of problem with later in life that are certainly not natural. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So, um, Fernando maybe can put on where is the best place people can find you? One, to get your book, um, two, also your website. I know you do a lot on Instagram as well. Uh -huh. People can follow you because you're just a wealth of information. I don't know, Fernanda, if you had um, something else that you wanted to add to that. I wanted to ask you to someone in the audience is asking if you virtual appointments and how oh, patients sure. can actually reach you. Mm -hmm. Well, I am definitely a practicing doctor. And so I do both telemedicine appointments and brick and mortar. Like right now I mentioned earlier, I'm talking to you from exam room two in my office. <laughs> this is my office I'm in. And so my practice is called Integrative Medical Group of Irvine. And we make appointments all day long, virtual and in person. And I would be delighted to help any one of you out there, friends or relatives included. And in terms of my social media, I do have an Instagram live show. And my handle is dr for doctor, period, Felice Gersh. So it's dr period, be sure you put the period in, Felice Gersh. And uh, then it gets posted on YouTube afterwards. So that's really my, my biggest claim to fame is my Instagram live show. <laughs> Love it. Well, thank you so much. You. Uh, such a blessing. And just so grateful that we, we had you on the show. And I know you're going to touch a lot of people's lives with this. So thank you very much yeah, for thank being you. here with us. Thank you. Thank and you so it was much. just a, a, such a joy and pleasure to be with you today. All right. Bye. We'll see you all next week. <laughs> Bye. -bye.